George King is back. What you don't realize maybe is George King had a birthday the other day. We won't say how old he is, but I'll give you a couple hints. He was there for some really historical things. You know when Moses raised his rod and parted the Red Sea? George was on the other side yelling, yo, I'm fishing over here. And then George is one of the few guys, you know, that survived both pandemics, the Spanish flu and COVID. And he's looking for another historic event to come in his life. You know, if Trump becomes president again, there's only been one president that served two non-consecutive terms, and he would have been there for both of them, Grover Cleveland and Donald Trump. Anyway, we were worried about George because this is a true story. The other night, uh, a couple weeks ago on Friday night, Remy was supposed to meet him at his apartment, and he went there, and he stayed there for a couple hours, and George never came out or answered the phone. When I finally got to find out what happened to George, he tells me he made the mistake of walking in an antique shop, and they kept him. And the next day they were having an auction and three people bid on them. Anyway, I love you, George. What really happened is George was in the hospital with COVID and nobody knew where he was. And I was so glad when he, they released him. But I wasn't as glad as the hospital was because they were really worried if this guy needs a transfusion, he's so old that they discontinued his blood type. Actually, I'm older than George, and I'm so glad he's recovered, and I'm so glad to have a friend like George for this many years. God bless you, George. Anyway, maybe when I give up Band of Brothers, I can become a stand-up comic or something. But anyway, um, it doesn't take much thought to think of what... Yeah, but, but George gives you a lot of material, you know what I mean? But anyway, today I'm excited because we're starting our new series, the final series of Band of Brothers at FAC, and um, we're starting our new series. We're, we as men are called, we, we, we've been talking about called to leadership, we've been call, talking about called to perseverance. We as men are called to righteousness, not our righteousness, but the Bible does say in different characters where the Lord says he was a righteous man, meaning integrity, but as we know, our righteousness is never, ever, ever going to be ours. It's the only righteousness is in Jesus Christ, amen, and he imputes that to us, okay? So, but this series is based on, okay, uh, call to righteousness, meaning integrity, okay? Doing the things that God calls you to do. And the first person that we're going to study in that is Boaz. And I'm honored to call Jesse up to talk about Boaz, call to righteousness, okay? Who is the Redeemer? Oh, there we go. Technology. All right, let's take a moment and open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord God, and we just thank you for this time. We ask you to open up our hearts, open up our minds, Lord God, that we can hear your word. Speak to us, Lord God. 
use these words to encourage these men, to grow these men, to let these men go out and be disciples in the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, the one good thing about opening up with prayer is the fact of it helps you settle, helps you calm down a little bit. You, get, you walk up, your heart's like racing. So why don't we go to the first slide? The first slide, ga'al. Ga'al, that is, in the, that is the Hebrew word, it's a verb that means to redeem, act as a kinsman. Now you may ask, why am I opening up with a definition? Because statistically, it is believed that when we are learning, you learn at the beginning, and then the speak goes on and it drops and it drops and it drops, and then you hit the end and it comes right back up. So if anything, if there, I want you guys to know these words, and when you walk away, you can say, I actually learned something at Band of Brothers today. So, <laughs> ga'al, the word, to redeem, act as kinmen. So when they say act as a kinsman, taking on a, a widow's, uh, a kinsman's widow, or redeeming property or a person from bondage. So, next slide. If we go, basically what we're looking at, according to various laws of the Pentateuch, the kinsman has the privilege or responsibility, and I would say and, privilege and responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, danger, or needed vindication. Now you may ask, why am I starting off with this? As Michael started off, we we're talking about righteousness, integrity, okay? So when we look at the definition of Ga'al, the kinsman redeemer, it has inklings, it has uh, foundations in a word that we use today, a definition of a word that we use, a word that at one point really meant something, really had power, a punch to it. Unfortunately, with today's society of revaluing and re redefining words, it has changed the point to where that original punch, that original idea, the power, has been all but lost. And that word is righteousness, to live righteously. So, as my brother Stan does, and I like to do as well, I like to go through and actually define what does righteousness mean? What does it mean to have righteousness? So you go to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and once again, it's a verb. Acting in accord with divine or moral law, behavior that is morally right or justifiable based on a given law. Now, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I feel Merriam-Webster Dictionary has failed to divine, it, it's failed in its definition. Either Merriam-Webster has or we have. Because the point I'm looking at is it says, accord with a divine or moral law, justifiable based on a given law. So the question is, who set the standard for that moral law? In this world, we have so many definitions, we have people, we have societies that come up and come up with a law and say this is how it should be. And the people who go according to that law are righteous because they are acting rightly. They are acting in a right way based on that law. But if that's the definition, then men like Hitler, men like Lenin, and Stalin could be considered righteous because they did what was right 
in their eyes. We as Christians, we have a higher standard, and it's not a standard set down by man. This is a standard set down by God. And he has told us through his holy word what is right and what is wrong. So today I want to talk to you about a man who lived by this righteous law, by this righteous standard, and his name is Boaz. Now most of you guys, I'm sure I believe, have read the narrative of, what, of the book of Ruth. They've, you guys have looked over the story of Ruth's perspective. Forgive me. Most of you have read through the narrative of Boaz, know the story, but the story is told primarily by the perspective of Ruth. So what I would like to do today is actually kind of flip it and turn it over and present it from Boaz's point of view and what he did and how he followed through, not because of his own personal needs, not his own personal desires, but based on what God has set before him. So what we're going to do is we're going to, if, for those of you who have God's word, we're going to open up to the book of Ruth, but we're going to start in chapter four because I want to start from the end, show the result of what happened because of Boaz's actions, and then we're going to back up and follow through and track three big points that Boaz, three big points that Boaz showed not his righteousness, but God's righteousness through him. So we're going to start off in Ruth chapter 4, starting at verse 9. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. It's only three verses. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witness this day that I have brought from the land of, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all, the, all that belonged to Shilion and Mahlon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have, brought to, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate, the name, to perpetuate the name of the dead in the inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his, narrative, of his native place, that you are witness this day. Then all the people who were at the gate, I'll say that again, all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Oh, stop it. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. God bless you. Guys, have a seat. Now you can see just writing by it, because of his actions, he was honored by the elders. He was honored by all the people there. So what exactly did he do? So, the book of Ruth was written about a thousand, about a thousand B.C. Now, most of you guys may go, B.C., B.C., what's... 
That was before. No, 1000 BC was approximately the same time as the judges. So when you remember people like Samson, remember people like Gideon, it was around this time. They really don't have an exact date, and this is just a general number, but the, you know, the idea is that this was a very rough time for Israel because there was really no leader. If you guys remember the, the Philistines, and the, they would come in, they would take over uh, Israel, they would fall, then the people would cry out, and God would come and give them a judge who would then bring them back, bring the people to praising God again, and then they would just start falling up and down and up and down. So this is a very volatile time for Israel. So keep that in mind as we're going through this, this narrative. Okay, so now a little background information. Naomi, the wife of Elimelech, okay? This was a cousin of Boaz's, not a close cousin, but a cousin. Naomi and Elimelech had two sons, Shalion and Malon. And both of those sons, well, we'll back up. They all, so there was a famine in Israel. Elimelech and Naomi said, guess what? We're not going to make it here. Why don't we move to Moab? There's a whole history there of Moab and Israel. So for them to move to Moab was really not a good thing. And the reason we say that is because if you look at Boaz, he stayed. His farm was blessed. Naomi, Elimelech, took their two sons. They went to Moab. And both of them, both the boys, married the Moabite women there. So story goes on. The husband dies, Elimelech, and then both boys die. Doesn't say exactly how, but they both die. And so Naomi, in her desperation, poor, destitute, as you, as you all know, for widows in Israel, being a destitute, you know, being a widow is basically means you are stuck in poverty. So the only way they could survive was to move back to Israel, and specifically, Bethlehem. I think all you guys know what uh, important about Bethlehem. Okay. So they all moved back to Bethlehem. Uh, thank you. Now keep in mind, these are without heirs. Neither of the women, uh, like, uh, the woman, Oprah, and Ruth. So they were the wives. They came back. Now on the way back, there was a point at which Naomi looked at the girls and said, listen, go back to Moab. You guys, you're not going to be able to survive with me because I'm poor and destitute. You're just going to die with me. Go back. Oprah said, okay, I'm out. Ciao. But Ruth said a very famous phrase, a very, very, very promising phrase to us. And she said, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. She was a Moabite woman, a foreigner, and yet she was willing to change heritage, basically 
because she loved Ruth and she loved Naomi that much. So, to the story of Boaz. So basically, they come back, Naomi and Ruth, they move back into their old house and try to start at least, work, you know, try to find some semblance of life. And this is where Boaz comes in. And like I said, I want to show three examples of where Boaz showed righteousness. God's righteousness because of his actions, because of his deeds, because of where his heart was. So when we start off in chapter 2, 1 to 17, so keep in mind, so Boaz is the owner of this well-to-do farm. He's got servants working him. They're going through the field. So Boaz actually comes out to the field, looks at his chief foreman, and says, hey, how's everything growing? God bless you. And they all turn around and say, hey, God bless you. And then as Boaz is looking around, he notices a foreigner working in his field. Now, let's not get too much, uh, let's, not, let's not like downplay um, Ruth working in the field. This was actually a legal action back in then. It was actually part of God's will that it was the, the, the welfare system because farmers were told the outside ring wasn't defined, but basically outside ring of their field was for the poor the destitute. When they actually went in, they would harvest the field, not only would be the outside ring, but anything they dropped would be for the poor. And that's why Ruth is there. She's there working to gather food. And you also know, and you also know that Naomi was here, like he's one of our relatives, so he's not going to kick you out. But at this point, Boaz doesn't know this. So he's looking out in the field, sees this foreign woman working in this field, looks at his foreman and says, who's that? Oh, that's Ruth, Naomi's uh, uh, daughter-in-law. Really? Okay, come here, come here. I want you to do something for me. As you're going through the field, as you're, as you're doing your harvesting, leave some extra out for her. What? Yeah, no, no, trust me, trust me. Just leave some out for her. And so as he's going on, the day goes on, it gets to the point where he actually meets up with Ruth. And he tells her, listen, here, take some of this, here's some extra. Take this back to Naomi. And she gets down on her hands and knees, bows before him and says, why are you treating me like this? And he turns to her and says, I have heard all that you've done for your mother-in-law. And because of that, because she's my cousin, I am giving you a blessing. Now, what could he have done at this point? Beat <laughs> says, beat her to death. He's right. He's right. He, it was a foreign woman. Get out of my field. Don't come here. No, get out. I'm harvesting here. But no, he showed compassion. He showed mercy, mostly for the part of because of the law. But he also knew that Ruth was a, was a devout woman to her mother-in-law. He probably heard, your God is my God. So then, second point, 
Ruth goes, on, goes home, talks to her mother-in-law, Naomi, tells her all the things that are going on. Naomi says, we got him now. No, she doesn't. She knows the law as well and says, he is our kinsman redeemer. Go to him. Do these things. And then we'll see what happens. That's how it's left. Go do these certain things and we'll see what happens. We're trusting in God. So, from Boaz's point of view, he just went through a whole day of, uh, of harvesting. He's now, he's fallen asleep in his barn. The reason he's done that, once again, this is a volatile time. So he's out there with his men protecting the harvest. Shows good leadership. Another aspect of righteousness. So here he is, hard day's work, he's out cold. And all of a sudden he wakes up in the middle of the night and there's this woman at his feet. Now I'm going to ask you guys to be honest. If you woke up in the middle of the night and you found a young woman at your feet who bows to you and says, I am your servant. What would go through your mind, honestly? Even the, even, even the married guys, like, hello. <laughs> but what does Boaz do? Boaz looks at this woman. She says, I am your servant. But then she follows him and says, you are my kinsman redeemer. And to him, that said, I am coming to you to fulfill the law that God has laid down. That because I am a relative of yours, and because I have no offspring, I am asking you to fulfill your duty. I'm asking to be your wife. Very bold for Ruth, but she does it very humbly. She does it with, in the law, and she doesn't demand it. She asks. And Boaz says, bless you, daughter. That's the word that's defined. It said, bless you, daughter. And that just means there is definitely an age gap there. But in any case, he looked at her and said, bless you. I will do what needs to be done. Once again, he could have thrown her away. He could have said, get out of here. I don't want to do it. I'm not even your closest relative. Why are you coming to me? Go talk to the other guy. Or he could have said, all right, well, let's start with and forced himself on her. He could have. This was a very challenging time for Ruth and for Boaz, but Boaz and Ruth both acted righteously. They both lived according to a higher standard. That was right in their eyes, in God's eyes. So the next morning, Boaz goes up. He wakes up in the morning, has his first cup of coffee, says, I got some work to do goes over to the main gates in Bethlehem. He goes and grabs 10 elders. Hey, he said, guys, 
I need you to sit here, right here. Just give me a second. And then he sees that closer relative and says, I need you to sit here too. And he negotiated with them. He went up to, they don't even give him a name. So that tells you he was not that important. But he had to do what was right. He had to go to that first kinsman and say, and this is the funny part. He starts off by saying, hey, Bob, sorry, I said Bob. Hey, Bob, there's a land owned by, a Naomi, by Elimelech. His wife came back, wants to sell it so she could have money in order to survive, and could, but that would mean she would come under your family. Okay, I'll take the land. That sounds good. Oh, by the way, there's also a daughter-in-law, Ruth, that comes along with it. Uh, wait, no, 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 I back out. I can't do that. I can't, it'll, it'll ruin my inheritance. There's no real explanation why he says that, but he says that's going to ruin my inheritance. So we're, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm out, I'm out. And in that time, what would happen was the uh, closer relative would take off his sandal and hand it off, and then a person would like spit in his face. But fortunately, this was a more polite time, and he just handed the, handed the sandal saying, I'm out. And that is when Boaz went to the elders, went to the people at the gates and said, you are my witnesses. Bob has declined to do what is right. He declined to fulfill what God has said they should do. So I am stepping up. I am buying the land from Naomi, and I'm marrying Ruth. And do you know what came from that union? Odeb, who then was, I think it was Odeb, I didn't write it down, I should have, um, who, but he was the grandfather of David, who then went on in line to Jesus. He fulfilled what is right. He did his duty. He didn't do it specifically because of his own desires. It, was, it couldn't have been easy for him to do that, to buy that land, to marry Ruth, but he did. It is, it is just through the text itself, you can tell that a love grew out of that. But first and foremost, he did what was right. He redeemed her from her poverty. He redeemed them from their, from, their, from their state. So, one more definition. What does it mean to be redeemed? Most of us today probably look at this word and say, hey, I'm redeeming a coupon or something along those lines. No, this is another word that power has been stripped from it. If we look at the word in the, in the Webster Dictionary, to buy back, to free from what distresses or harms. Almost sounds nice. But if you look at the biblical terms, what it says in the Bible, it says, loosing from a bond, setting free from captivity or slavery, buying back something that is lost or sold. That is what 
Boaz is doing for Ruth and Naomi. He is freeing them from their poverty. He is freeing them from a place where they in their own strength could not possibly do. God portrayed a kinsman redeemer for Israel. He delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. He delivered Israel from annihilation. You guys remember that one? Haman, you know, decreed to annihilate all Israel. Oops, I didn't know the queen was an Israelite. Sorry. No. God delivered them from annihilation. And then he returned Israel to the promised land. You guys familiar with that? 70 years exile. And then brought them back divinely, providentially. Things that should not have happened, happened to allow Israel to come back into its land. And it's because God was a kinsman redeemer to them. Do you know who else played the role of kinsman redeemer? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ knows his sheep. He knows the people who follow him. He knows that they are in a state that they cannot free themselves from. Like the, like the, the proud servant who owed boatloads of money to the king. There was no way in this world that he could free himself from that debt. But like the king who said, you are forgiven, Jesus Christ paid our price. Jesus Christ, and it wasn't just a fine. It wasn't just a duty or it wasn't, okay, here's 20 bucks, they're good. No, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. He suffered. He was persecuted. He was betrayed. He was spat upon. He was flogged. And then he went to the cross, said, it is finished. And then he died. He died to pay our price. He paid, to my, he paid my price. He died for my sins so that I could be redeemed back to the Father. He bought me back even though I could not do it myself. He loved me so much. He loved every single one of us in here so much that he died for us. He paid the price so that we could be free. That is Jesus Christ. That is a kinsman redeemer. So how about each of you around here? I'm not asking you to give up your life for someone else, but in what way have you freed someone from slavery? Do you know anyone who's out there who's in chains? Do you know anyone out there who has a debt they cannot pay and need Jesus Christ? They need a kinsman redeemer just as much as we did. So are you going out and helping that person? Are you going out and doing this? Because that's what we're called to. There are so many other people out there who are lost. They need Jesus.
the kinsman redeemer. Why don't we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray for each man's heart here, Lord God. I pray for everyone here, Lord, to help us. Help us follow you, Lord God. Help us hear your call to reach out to the people who are lost, who are desperate, who need a Savior. Lord God, challenge each one of us. Help us to follow you in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.